me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Happy Feast Day of St. Anthony the Abbot, and I promised that I would explain the difference between St. Anthony the Abbot and the other Anthony. The reason, because my father, my father, my friend and classmate, uh, Father, Father Anthony Branken, when he was a little kid, he was asked by the nun to, uh, who was his patron saint, and, well, he... He picked the feast day of St. Anthony the Abbot, but it was really St. Anthony of Padua. So there you go. So I, I, I'm going to explain it. So none of you make that 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 uh, mistake. <laughs> so actually, he has a couple patron saints. That's why he's such a good guy. All right. This is St. Anthony the Abbot, also called Anthony the Great, and whose feast day is today. And he was... Um, yeah, I suppose I could pray first and then talk about that. The voice of my head suggesting we pray. I, I've just jumped into this, but let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. <coughs> we humbly pray to thou, o Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, we're going to continue about St. Anthony to the Abbot. Usually I just jump in after praying to the reading, but so I'm talking more about Anthony the Abbot, so you were right, we should have prayed first. But Anthony the Abbot, uh, called Anthony the Great, he wasn't the first monk. The word monk in Greek means loner, monochos. Monos is one, and monochos is someone who lives alone. And um, there was, uh, 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 oh gosh, what was his name? Paul, uh, St. Paul the Hermit, uh, who, was, uh, who, who was older than, than Anthony, and Anthony went out to visit him in the desert, but uh, the... The, Paul the Hermit was thought of as the first monk. But the reason that Anthony the Abbot is so important is that he was one of the first to organize uh, a monastery. Uh, you know, you live alone in the desert and you can get a little squirrely. And there were a lot of squirrely monks uh, living alone in the desert. These hermits and ascetics who... Uh, uh, tried to outdo each other sometimes in piety. And St. Anthony, a uh, bunch of them, he lived a totally isolated life. But some of these ascetics, these hermits, came and asked him to instruct them, and ultimately he did. But I think the reason that 
an, a devotion to uh, um, St. Anthony today and listening to St. Anthony, the life of St. Anthony written by St. Athanasius of Alexandria is very pertinent because St. Anthony the abbot uh, was broke his his uh, uh, his resolution not to go into the world to resist Arius. Arius was a priest of Alexandria who spread a heresy through the world that Jesus was only kind of divine. He was adopted and divinized by the Father, and uh, uh, he tried to diminish uh, the the divinity of Christ. And uh, that is certainly a heresy for our times. I've shared with you a, a very trendy theologian who says says things like, well, the, uh, uh, the Syrophoenician woman taught Jesus how not to be a racist, or that Jesus would have had longings and and Jesus would have been jealous of the of the indoor plumbing. Uh, you know, his parents had dirt floors, and and this town of Sepphoris, where Jesus and Joseph probably did some work, being day laborers. Uh, it, it's quite possible, and I would even think probable they did. But Jesus must have been so envious of the the beautiful uh, floors, the mosaic floors, and the indoor plumbing in this in this Greek city, two miles from Nazareth. So this guy accuses Jesus of envy, lust, uh, 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 racism, that Jesus uh, was, after all, he was human. And, and well, so big deal for you. You know, you're, you're just human. Jesus wasn't all that either. It, it infuriates me. Jesus was fully human, but it was the perfect humanity of Adam before the fall, his his human nature. Jesus, I, I, I don't have time to go into it today, but, but that's the spirit of our age, to to diminish Christ so that the moral expectations of Christianity are lessened for us, that we can just kind of, you know, be Christian and live according to the mind of the world. And that was what Arius was doing uh, in, a, in, a, in a slightly different way. But uh, so St. Anthony, pray for us. Um, and help us to resist the, the spirit of, of the age. Uh, Anthony actually wrote a letter to Constantine reminding him and his sons to not be too interested in the world, but to seek the things of God. All right, that said, let's open the big book on the coffee table. And we are at chapter 17. And I'm going to have to talk about chapter 16. Um uh, a little bit. Um, we had some of chapter 16 yesterday when David was anointed by Samuel. And I mentioned that David didn't look very kingly. He was, he was too good looking to be a king. And we're going to talk about that again today, believe it or not. Um, well, there's a story in chapter 16 about when David and Saul first met. In chapter 16, verse 14, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and was tormented by an evil spirit from the Lord. What? God sent an evil spirit to torment him? He allowed, I don't know that he sent him, but he certainly allowed an evil spirit because when we, when we, God gives us what we ask for. And Saul was asking for, for, um, uh, well, in a sense, in essence, this evil spirit. So God said, that's what you want. That's what you get. All right. Uh, 
so they they found David, who was a good harpist and, and a musician. And um, he, in verse 18, he's also a brave warrior, an able speaker, and a handsome young man. The Lord is certainly with him. So uh, David was made the armor bearer of Saul, and um, then uh, he played the harp for for Saul whenever he was having one of his episodes and um, Saul would feel better. So that's where David met Saul. Now let's go to the 16th chapter or the 17th chapter and we read the story of when David first met Saul. I thought we just had it in 16. Yeah, David was employed to play the harp and to be the armor bearer, kind of a, a, a page, an assistant to Saul. Well, we get to chapter 17, and we read that uh, the Philistines were stationed on one hill, the Israelites on the opposite hill, and a valley between them, there's a champion named Goliath of Gath. And uh, he was a big guy, six cubits and a span tall. That that would be, what, let's see, what, what would that be? Um, that would be about nine feet, nine inches. He was a big guy. Uh, so... Uh, you know, it's it's possible that he was that big. Uh, in fact, his scripture says he was. Well, so um, here we go. This is Saul just uh, terrified because David had challenged uh, an Israel to single combat. But then in verse 12, we read that David, son of an Ephrathite named Jesse in Bethlehem, um, uh, came to the camp. Uh, he, he came, uh, you know, he was tending his father's sheep, but uh, he was supposed to bring some some roasted grain and some bread to his brothers and, and ten cheeses for the field officer. In other words, he's bribing the commanding officer with cheese. Well, you could bribe me with cheese if it's good. All right. Don't anybody send cheese. I'm right near Wisconsin. We got great cheese here. All right. Where was I? I'm in a prayer group with a couple guys who are cheesemakers. Blessed, blessed are the cheesemakers. Moving along. Uh, so he goes and, well, then he's introduced to uh, Saul uh, because he says, I can take care of this guy. Wait, 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 wait. Didn't he meet Saul in chapter 16? Yeah. But apparently Saul didn't recognize him, or he didn't. You know, this is this is the kind of first encounter um, uh, with Saul. Uh, um, so uh, this is kind of which one's true. All right. There are some people who make the suggestion that it was the other way around, that chapter 17 precedes chapter 16, that they got transposed in the, in the telling. This doesn't worry me at all, because, for instance, we see in the book of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, Genesis that there are two creation accounts that are really quite totally different. And, well, which one is it? The point is that the, the, the people who set these things down received both traditions and they put them both in. They received both stories about the meeting, the first meeting of David and Saul, and they put both in. They both end up having the same, the same effect. 
in the Christian scriptures, we get two angels. We get one angel at the resurrection. Jesus seems to ascend to the Father in Galilee in one and seems to ascend to the Father on the Mount of Olives in another. What's going on? I thought the Bible was perfect. The Bible is perfect. It conveys what the Holy Spirit wants us to know. But to me, the inconsistencies in the scripture are very important. They're proof that we have passed on what we have received. We didn't try to clean up our act. Well, let's get the story straight. How was it that David met Saul and which one was it? Let, let's get the, the, the wrinkles ironed out. We didn't do that. The Catholic Church had never sat down in, in its 20 centuries and in its, in its copying, uh, one text to another in dark scriptoria by, by oil lamp light in the cold of Europe. We never at any point decided, uh, let's get the story straight here. We passed down what we have received. We've received these two stories. We give them on to you. But I don't know. I wonder which it is. Good luck with that. We've received these two stories, and we do not think we have the authority to change Scripture. I think that's a real important thing for us to understand in this age. We have never thought that we have the authority to change Scripture, and we pass down what we have received. So these inconsistencies in the Bible, to me, are proof of... Uh, the the, uh, uh, the the truth of what we've received and the consistency of what we received. And I'm sure that, God willing, we all get to heaven. We can sit down and say, David, which was it? Oh, yeah, first I, I, uh, I, I met Goliath. Uh, I came to the, see my brothers and I was introduced to Saul and uh, then then he made me his armor bearer and harpist. But maybe that's how it happened. Maybe they're right, the ones who say that these two chapters were transposed. I don't know. And it doesn't matter at all, because the Holy Spirit speaks to us in both stories. All right, now let us go back to... Uh, I, I particularly love this... this uh, this uh, account, in fact, is it's kind of important in my life, because when I was a little kid... Uh, you know, we were back in the early 50s. We were raised free range. Parents didn't worry too much. And my mother would go to a grocery store next to which there was the town library, a beautiful old building made by Andrew Carnegie. And when I was, I think I would have been probably five at this time. Uh, my mother, you know, you know, kids, kids are difficult and stress. I want that. Buy me that. Give me that. Please, please, please. Uh, you know, my mother would say, why don't you go and look at the children's books in the library next door? And I remember running down that long, that long, uh, uh, sidewalk to the children's library. And I would go straight to the desk, take a right and go into the children's section and go to the sections in the children's Bible because I couldn't read yet, but I would take the children's Bible and open to the page about this story and look at that picture of Goliath. I was fascinated by a giant Goliath. So that's when my study of scripture began when I was, when I was five years old and, uh, having grown up in a house that, that reverenced the Bible and having a pastor who really, really pushed Bible, uh, Monsignor O'Brien. Well, here I am today <laughs> telling you the same story. I, I just, 
you know, it, it's kind of important in my spiritual life. So at, at, as I always say, at any rate, okay, let's get, let's get to the gospel because I think there's something. <laughs> yeah, the voice might just said, don't get me started. This is Mark, the third chapter, the first to the sixth verse, and it's a wonderful story. Um, that, that Jesus entered the synagogue. There was a man there with a withered hand. He'd had a stroke. There is a backstory to this gospel passage. I'm not sure. I I wish I could footnote it. I'm quite sure it's accurate. I think it may be ascribed to Hippolytus or, or, or maybe someone earlier. Hippolytus was, you know, about 180. So he's pretty early. Well, Jesus, you read the story and Jesus heals this guy in the synagogue and everyone is furious. The Pharisees went out and immediately took counsel with the Herodians against him to put him to death. I thought you said the Pharisees didn't want to kill Jesus. Well, some of them did, some of them didn't, but they would never have done it by crucifixion. The Sadducees got Jesus crucified. Pharisees would never have broken the law, which said a blasphemer should be stoned to death. And the Herodians were the uh, the party of people who were who were in the employ and under the influence of the Herod family. Uh, uh, and so these were people who were in cahoots with Rome. The Herodians and the Pharisees knew that they'd have to get the permission of Rome if they were going to f- fulfill the sentence of the law, because they did not. They had pretty much independence, but they didn't have the right to execute anyone. Uh, Saul was stoned to death. That was a not Saul, rather. Stephen was stoned to death with Saul watching the coats of the people who did it. Um, that was a lynch mob, uh, and they would have dispersed before the Romans had anything to do with it, and uh, the Sadducees were collaborators with the Romans big time. So, all right, back to the text. What had Jesus done? He had cured someone on the Sabbath. That man's life was not in danger. The rule is that if you see someone who is dying, you can keep them from dying. But you may not heal them because healing is the work of a doctor. In other words, if you're bleeding to death, I can tie up your wound on Sabbath. But I couldn't put any medication on the wound, unless, of course, it was gangrenous or something. I couldn't put any medication on the wound uh, because that would be the work of a doctor. That could wait till the next day. That could wait till Sunday. Remember, Sabbath is Saturday. Well... The backstory is that this guy was a stonemason. And when he had his stroke and his arm withered, he had lost a way to provide a livelihood for his family. He had, in essence, lost his life. Jesus restored his life. So Jesus had not violated the Sabbath. He had given this man his life back when that part of him was dead. You know, I heard a wonderful story told or a wonderful saying from a a Coptic bishop that Jesus did not come to make us better. The great prophets of the world try to make men better. Jesus doesn't want to make us better. He wants to he wants to make dead men come to life. That's different. Jesus doesn't simply want to make men better. He wants to make dead men come to life. All right. That said, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with uh, 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 letters, and the phones will be open at 888-914-9149. 
888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Father Simon says, What are you asking me for? Have a question? Give us a call. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you who is on first. On Relevant Radio. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. I mentioned that um, the same word is mentioned in or, or the same commentary about David is mentioned today, but even more strongly than yesterday, you know, that Saul was a man who was a head taller than everybody else, and he was goodly, he was tov, which is okay. Well, David is is um, roi, <laughs> and that means he's good looking, uh, different. You know, when you, you're looking for a warrior king, you're looking for somebody who talks like a pirate? Arr. You know, you're not looking for, for, for someone from Gentleman's Quarterly. Well, today, um, the David is is coming closer and closer to the Philistine, and and the text here says, uh, I, I think that's kind of interesting. When he had sized David up, uh, that means it's actually nabat. It means to look. When he looked at David, whoever translated this really had more fun with that, I think, than he should. Well, when he looked at David, when the Philistine looked at David and saw that David, uh, saw David, he, he, he disdained him. He looked down on him. He despised him uh, because uh, he was only a youth and he was ruddy. That's what he's called when, when Samuel anoints him and means he was red. In other words, he was and uh, you know, the youthful, glowing face, and he was Yafe Mare, Yafe, which is in the Tsanki, Bodo Diki Yafita, come, my beloved, because you are beautiful. Well, that's the word that's used here, Yafe. He's 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 lovely and Mare to look at. I think that's fascinating. That that. Uh, David didn't look like a warrior, and that's why Saul uh, or Samuel was told, "Don't look at the appearances." Uh, and and this is good advice. If someone's good looking or ugly, doesn't matter. Matters if their heart is with the Lord. All right, uh, that let's go to letters. Where did I put some letters? I got letters. Where did I put the letters? All right. Okay. Where did I put? Ah, here they are. This is from Jimbo. Did the Blessed Mother know that Jesus would rise from the dead, or was she just as surprised as the apostles were? I don't know. I mean, uh, our Blessed Mother was immaculately conceived. 
words, he did not suffer the effects of original sin, we believe. However, I think that she was very limited by her own free will, as was her divine son. Think of when Jesus said that no one um, knows the time of his coming, not even the son, but only the father. If Jesus is truly God, uh, as as contrasted with Arius said, and and um, uh, Saint Anthony, our feast day today, Saint Anthony Abbot objected to. If Jesus, Son of God, didn't know stuff, I bet his mother didn't know stuff. Now, how is it that Jesus, the Son of God, did not know things? God is love. God is not knowledge. God is not power. Uh, that that we think of these attributes of God as as being divine and well they are but they are not constitutive of who God is it's as if Jesus laid down the rights and privileges of his divinity as if a coat on the heavenly throne and came down it was like us in all things but sin do you know what's going to happen tomorrow no neither did Jesus he knew only what the father was pleased to tell him I always do what is pleasing to him, we read in the Gospel of John, pleasing to the Father. Um, and uh, Jesus knew, as, as the angels, knew only what God was pleased to tell him. And so, too, our Blessed Mother would have had uh, limits because of her humanity in, in union with her beloved Son. She suffered, though she didn't have to suffer. Suffering, I got to suffer. I don't get a choice. Because I am not immaculate conceived, believe you me. But our blessed, blessed mother, along with her divine son, chose suffering for the sake of love. So I don't know that the blessed mother knew that Jesus would rise from the dead. She knew that somehow it would work out even in death. So I think that's an important thing to understand. We, we so want to... Uh, impose our ideas of divinity. If I were God, then I'd do this. If I were God, it'd be great. Uh, I don't think so. I wouldn't want the responsibility. So <laughs> moving along. I hope that helps a little. Let's see here. Um, this is from Emily. She says, I was thinking about the wise men and the shepherds and had a question. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's a huge thing. We know in hindsight, the wise men and the shepherds saw baby Jesus and recognized he was a king. But other people didn't know for another 30 years. What did the wise men and shepherds do with that info for so long? They lived their lives. The general population didn't know the Messiah was born. So it was this big thing for a few people. And then quiet for another 30 years? All right. I'm a shepherd. And I've had a vision of angels. And I go to the, 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 the cave, the stall, the, 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 the crib in, in, in Bethlehem. And I see this poor baby wrapped in rags in swaddling clothes. And the angel said, this is the Messiah. And I go home and I tell my mother-in-law, who doesn't like me very much anyway, this kid was the Messiah. Are you crazy? This 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 poor baby wrapped in rags, and you had a vision of angels. You've been drinking again. <laughs> you know, if, 
you know something amazing and you try to share it and people don't want to hear it. The wise men, they went home. They went back to the east. Scripture tells us. The shepherds, they told everybody they could, I imagine. And, uh, um, well, everybody sort of thought, well, shepherds, well, maybe they drink to keep warm. You follow what I mean? That that we have an amazing religion. Jesus was a day worker, a day a day laborer. I mean, he wasn't a, a royalty. I mean, well, he was royalty, but they were out of business. Uh, he wasn't a theologian. He wasn't a high priest. He wasn't a general. He wasn't rich. None of those things. Well, you know, the word tecton we translate it carpenter. It really means fixer. It it could mean mechanic. It's just that all the machines were made out of wood. What if I told you, you know, the mechanic down on the garage, on the on the corner, down down about two blocks down, the one was with the really grubby hands. I think he's God. You would say, well, Father, I I hope that you're taking your medication. Maybe you should ask your doctor to increase it. That's what happened to the shepherds. I think. I think that people went, uh huh, fine, okay, moving on. Nothing to see here. That's that's my thought on it. Uh, but then perhaps when they heard rumors of the resurrection, they said, isn't that that kid that, that Uncle Mordecai said was divine? And we told him he was nuts. Hmm, interesting. So that, that that's my thought on what, what happened. Uh, let's see here. I have, um, this is a, I don't quite understand this. It's from a listener about how to deal with a miscarriage. Is this held against the mother? Today, this is wrong in the eyes of politicians and labeled abortion. What is the line? Where does the Catholic Church stand? Why does society look to blame the mother? I, I don't really understand the question here, but certainly miscarriage is not the fault of the mother. Uh, you know, I, I hesitate to speak about this because I'm a man and... and uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I cannot experience what a woman experiences, <laughs> despite what people like to say these days. But in my past, in my practice as a pastor, I have come to realize that miscarriages are very, very common, especially with first pregnancies. But the fact that they're common does not, does not make them less tragic. I have known so many wonderful women who went on to have large families, but who experienced a miscarriage. And you and your husband feel like it's, you're the only one. And in a way, if you've experienced a miscarriage, you are the only one. <laughs> that, that, that each life is a world. And to me, the fact that a, a woman can grieve for a miscarriage is is another reason to believe that abortion is horrific. A woman instinctively knows this is a life, and a woman instinctively grieves for the loss of that life. Um, you know, there are some people who say, oh, get over it. <laughs> you can't get I've known women who, who years later still experience the pain of that miscarriage, and... And I don't think that's inappropriate. So no, the world doesn't blame them. Uh, the world grieves with them. And I, I'd like to do something a little odd with this. Um, 
if you've experienced a miscarriage, I would like to pray with you right now. Um, it might be a little tough, but it's, it's, uh, I think it might be of help. Um, uh, if you're at home, just sit quietly if you can. Close your eyes. If you're driving, don't close your eyes, but just pray along with me. I want you to imagine that you're holding that child who did not come to term. And I want you to imagine Jesus standing in front of you. Just hand that child to Jesus. Just give the child to Jesus. And imagine our Blessed Mother standing next to Jesus. And he gives that child to his own mother. Lord Jesus, we ask you to accept this child so that when we stand before your throne, this dear and precious child can be restored to us. Keep them in your tender care until we can see them again in the glory of heaven. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's go to a break. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. There's a song that will linger forever in our ears. Oh, hard times come again no more. Tis a song, the sigh of the weary. Cheer us all up. That's a Stephen Foster song, Hard Times Come Again No More. What a song. Oof. We used to have good music. Amazing. All right. Let's move along. Uh, let's go to phones. And the phones are way open. 888. 914, 914. Oh, yeah, that's, we've got to do the word of the day, which is going to be, that always cheers me up. Oh, except this one. You know, I really hope someday they translate the Bible into English. Okay. Um, we read here, um, all these words that are popular that don't mean anything in English. Then staff in hand, David selected five smooth stones from the wadi. I was actually in that wadi and picked up a bunch of smooth stones, uh, which I brought home. So a wadi, what is a wadi? A wadi is a dried out riverbed. It sometimes has water in it, sometimes doesn't. The English word for it is a gulch. The staff in hand, David selected five smooth stones from the gulch. Wadi sounds a great deal more sophisticated than gulch. And then we have another sophisticated word further on. David says, uh, you come against me with sword and spear and scimitar. Scimitar? A scimitar is one of those curvy uh, Middle Eastern swords that are very sharp. That's not what the word is. The word, oh gosh, I, I looked it up in Hebrew. I can't think of the Hebrew word. It's, but it's, you got sword and spear and javelin. Javelin, by the way, is one of the few Celtic words which comes into English. It's uh 
It's related to the the old Irish word gavel, uh, and it's from French Celtic. Uh, it it's a dart that you throw. It's a, a short spear which is meant for throwing. Whereas a spear spear, you don't throw. You poke your enemy with it. So uh, scimitar. I don't know why he translates it scimitar. The word doesn't mean scimitar. It, it means a dart or a javelin. And then the thing that makes me craziest. Today the Lord shall deliver you into my... Oh, no, that's not it. That doesn't make me crazy. Um, uh, where does he say? Uh, to hand. Philistine, move closer there. Okay, I, I did look this up. Oh, yes. Um, the David had a... Uh, uh, something to hand instead of uh, uh, at hand. When you put to with a noun, it turns it into a verb frequently. In English, we say at hand. At has to do with location, but that's just me being finicky. But scimitar and wadi, as I said, I certainly hope that someday uh, they'll translate the Bible into English. Uh, this is similar to the word uh, that started out and when Goliath had sized him up. Never mind, I'm just complaining. We have plenty of lines open at 888. Hello, Ghostbusters. Oh, well, not, not no more. I'm retired. 888-914-9149. Do call in. 888-914-9149. Let's go to John in Silicon Valley. John, what can I do for you? Hello. Yeah, are you there, John? Yeah, are you there? Are you on a? Yeah, you're you're kind of muffled. Are you on a speakerphone? Um, how's it, oh, John? Uh, it's all right. We'll give it a shot. What's your question for me, John? Yeah, well, I just heard you uh, talking about tecton. Mm-hmm. And I've heard some lectures yeah. on this. And I, I I think the person said that the word tecton means stonemason. Uh-huh. It means builder. The word architect, the word tect in there, that, that's it. Yeah. Architect means a head builder. And you built with what you had, be it stone, wood. It means a contractor. That's that's what it means. It It, it means somebody who's a builder. Jesus was in the building trades for 18 years. I think that's totally amazing that Jesus made his living as a contractor, as a builder. Now, did a lot of building with wood, did a lot of building with stone. So it included stone masonry, but he would not have been a stonemason exclusively. He would have, like, I don't know if you know any contractors, they'll do whatever they have to do to make some money, and, and they work hard, at least the ones I've known. So does that answer your question? Yeah, thank you, Father Simon. Enjoy the program. Well, thank you. I'm honored that you listened. God bless. God bless. Okay, God bless. we do have lots of phones open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And now we have Elias from Lexington, Kentucky. Elias, are you with us? Yes, Father. Peace upon you. Good. I was what? Peace. Thinking... Thank you. Yes. Go I was on. speaking to my Jewish brother and sister regarding mm-hmm. abortion. They yes. had explained to me they are pro-abortion for the following reason. 
Yes. When the baby in the womb, the baby not being considered human, when the baby is born, that baby is still not being considered human unless that baby passed seven weeks old. Is that false mm-hmm. or true, Father? I have no idea. I don't think so. It's life. This is the way we Catholics would look at it. Is this child that is just conceived in the womb, is this a living thing? Why, yes, of course it's living. What kind of life is it? Well, it's human life. It's not going to turn into a duck-billed platypus. It is not going to turn into a giraffe. It will become a human being, uh, able to walk about and talk, God willing. So it's human life. And so what we're doing is we're protecting human life. We would say that this is this is an ensouled being from the moment of conception. Uh, some theologians in history have said, no, it's 40 days. It's a... How about this? I, I've got a hand grenade, and I've pulled the pin, and i got to get rid of this hand grenade. And I'm passing a building that I know is empty. At least I'm pretty sure it's empty. Well, I think it's empty. It's probably, maybe it's empty. And I'm going to throw this grenade in there. I better darn well make sure that there's no one in that building before I throw the grenade through the window to detonate the grenade safely. In other words, maybe it is a human being. So should I kill it? No, on the chance that it is a human being, I should not kill it. From the moment of conception, we believe that that is human life from the moment of conception. And I think that that case, uh, it's a, a, a good case, um, you know, that, that, that how the rabbis come to that uh, idea that this is not a human being until seven weeks, I have no idea how they do that. But I know that this is life, it's human life, and should have the rights of, of human life. Does that help a little? Uh, yes, Father, I had read the Torah, but I did not see anything in the Torah no. supporting their point of view. No, of course not. There is, this is a rabbinical interpretation, and we certainly are not bound by it, but we are bound by our respect as, as Christians for human life. So it's an excellent question, Elias. So God bless you, and I'm honored that you listen. So Thank you, Father. Thank uh, you. You're welcome. Good to talk to you. Let's go to Edward from Illinois. What can I do for you, Edward? Oh, it's great to talk to you, Father Simon. I've well, never it's great. never called it's you great before. to talk to you, Edward. There you go. Well, there, there you go. I've never called me either. But what can I do for okay. you, Edwin? <laughs> um, I had a question about uh, something our first pope wrote. Um, first Peter. Chapter mm-hmm. 4, verse 18. Yeah. Verse it 18. Says, if, if the righteous man is scarcely saved, where will the godless and sinner appear? What is he talking about? <laughs> well, they're talking about something that, well, Jesus seems to have indicated that, uh, um, uh, Enter through the narrow gate. Let me see if I can pull that up. Okay. Okay. Enter through the narrow path. All right. This is um, Matthew 7.13. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. 
For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Uh, uh, that, that's, uh, I don't know that they enter through it, they take it. Uh, let's, let's look at the, uh, excuse me, I'm looking at it in Greek here. Uh, many, there are many who uh, are coming through it, and they're not coming through it to salvation. Uh, Jesus uh, seems to indicate that, and, and Peter is repeating what he heard Jesus say. You know that that um, this idea of of uh, everybody saved it, it really doesn't seem to be biblical. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it's very scary, though. <laughs> it is very scary, but you know we're we're sinners saved by grace. Uh, I, I think you got to trust God and trust grace. You do your best. If you do your best, God will do his best. You know, it's the person who said, well, Voltaire, for instance, said, God will forgive. It is his job. No, it's not. Uh, uh, God owes us nothing. But, you know, I love one of the prayers that they say at one of uh, at different ordination ceremonies. There are minor orders, uh, you know, lesser orders as you're preparing for the priesthood. And it's, may God who has begun the good work in you bring it to completion. To me, that's a beautiful prayer. Lord, you have begun a good work in me. Please bring it to completion. That that you got to be afraid of sin, but you don't have to be afraid of God in the same way. Um, uh, I think that, that that's good practical advice. Um, that if you sincerely want to be delivered from sin, God is faithful. Um we have to be afraid of sin, but not afraid of God, which is a little different. We have to fear the Lord in the sense of respecting and honoring him and really realizing he means business and not taking him for granted. But uh, to be, you know, the beginning of Scripture says elsewhere that that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, it's the beginning of wisdom. It isn't the end of wisdom. Love is the end of wisdom. So uh, hang in there. Don't be afraid of sin, but don't be afraid of God in the same way. Does that help a little, Edward? Yeah, yeah. What? But there's, we need to be more perfect, right? As Jesus said in Matthew well, five forty-eight. Is that right? Yeah, we need to be perfect. You have to understand what the word perfect means. The Greek word. It has to do with having a goal. You know, teleos means uh, per, it means perfection, and telos means distance. That, that being perfect is having that goal in mind, which is God's goal. You know, I've got a lot of goals in my life. But the older I get, the, real, the more I realize I'm not going to fulfill them, and they're ridiculous anyway. To, to want what God wants is, is, in that sense, is I think what Jesus is saying is be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Be aimed at what your Heavenly Father aims at. And that's that's making you... Uh, making you over in, in into the very image of Christ. You know, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, peace, patience, joy, this is what Jesus was like, and that's what God wants for us, to be reflections of the nature of Jesus, who is the perfect reflection of the divine nature. God wants to make us over to look like Jesus. In Romans, the 8th chapter, we read, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In other words, to get to heaven, i got to look like Jesus. What did Jesus look like? Galatians, the fifth chapter, love, peace, patience, joy, long-suffering, generosity, humility, all those those things which are the, the, the hallmarks of the character of Jesus. If my goal in life is to let God's grace turn me into a reflection of Christ, I'm in good shape. 
But if my goal is, God, I'm praying, you got to give me what I want, I lit a candle, you owe me. And I believe in the lighting of candles. It's a beautiful prayer. But God doesn't owe you nothing, no matter how many candles you light. If your goal is to allow God to turn you into the image of Jesus, you're doing fine. It takes a whole life. We can tell ourselves that's our goal, but uh, God's got to do a lot of work, at least in my life. I hope that helps a little, Edward. God bless you. Thanks for listening. All right? Okay. Thank you very much. I learned a lot from you. You're welcome. All right. Grace. Grace from, oh, good grief. Where's my glasses? I got to put my glasses on the fine print of life. From Marlton, New Jersey. What can I do for you? Hi, Father Simon. Um, I have a question. My daughter does yoga and knows it's against the Catholic faith, but I don't know what advice to give her. How old is she? She's 28 years old. I don't know any advice you can give a 20-year-old of either gender. Uh, you know, that... Um, uh, How do I this get is, this on is the a right problem. track? Beyond, at this age, beyond praying for her, not much. When I was 20, I was essentially thought I was a communist. And my father was a Republican. Boy, do we have some fights, um, you know. But I turned out to be more like my father than I ever thought I would. Thank God. He's a holy and a good man. But uh, uh, I, I'm not very holy or good, but I'm I'm certainly more like him than I used to be. Um, you know, You're I think good. that, well, I, I, you got a Greek verb or a Hebrew noun, I'm fine. What I would say is this. Do not nag her about it. Whatever you do, don't nag her about it. That is not going to help. Um, how was your day, dear, kind of thing? Does she live with you? No, she is civilly married. Uh, that's another well, thing. And that's I, another we, thing. My husband and I do pray for her. Well, of course, you pray for her, but I think also you have to keep the relationship going. You know, and, I do. And, you know, yeah, and and don't don't. I would say, she knows where you stand on yoga. She knows where you stand on civil marriage as opposed to sacramental yes. marriage. You've yes. made your point. Drop it now, and just you know, I I I was thinking of you, and I saw this in the store, and I got it for you. Just to just wanted to say I love you. Eventually, if you you know, uh, when Jesus said, "I'll make you fishers of men," I always point out that He didn't tell us we were going to be the worm. We got to be the tastiest worm on the hook. You've made your point. You have fulfilled your biblical obligation to reprove your daughter. Now, I've also just, suggested that she come back to the church. I I told well, her she, that. She, yeah, she no. knows that you love that. She knows that. You understand my point. You've made your 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 beliefs known to her, and the more you push, the less success you're going to have. Really, just be the example of Christ to her in her life at this point. That the best you can be. And speaking of examples, we got Drew, who's going to pray with you. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> 